Hello, my name is Melissa Hoffman. I'm a public health associate at the Medical Society of the State of New York, and I'm joined today by Dr. Eugene Schiff, Dr. Sarah Nosel, and Dr. Matthew Weissman. They're each speaking today on behalf of themselves. Dr. Schiff is Director of Adult and Childhood Vaccines at the Institute for Family Health and works at the Stevenson Family Health Center, a federally qualified community health center in the Bronx. Dr. Nosel is boarded in Family Medicine and Clinical Informatics, serving as VP for Innovation and Optimization and Chief Medical Information Officer, as well as providing direct patient care in the South Bronx with the Institute for Family Health. Dr. Weissman is the site chair of the Department of Medicine at Mount Sinai Beth Israel and is an associate professor of both internal medicine and pediatrics at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. We will be discussing recommended vaccines for young adults. We will delve into vaccine side effects and complications and what people need to know about immunizations in this age group. My first question is, what vaccines are recommended for young adults ages 19 to 26? Hi, Melissa. Thanks so much for having us. Vaccines are one of the greatest public health accomplishments over the last many decades. And for young adults, it's a particularly good time to come in and see their doctor and get vaccines. I often, and I'm sure we all do, see adults who are newly out of school, have insurance on their own for their first time, and haven't seen a doctor in a while. And so it's great when they come in and they want to get their health affairs back in order. And vaccines are a really important part of that. They're safe. They prevent disease. And for young adults in particular, it's a great opportunity not only to protect themselves, but because their immune systems are pretty robust, getting young adults vaccinated in this age group is a really good way to help protect the older people they're around, their coworkers, their children or other children they might see. And so it's really a great time to come in and assess what they need and then make sure they get it. Very few adverse effects for these kinds of vaccines. And for a young adult who may be exposed to disease by traveling a lot or in their workplace or with relatives they're around, it really is important to get checked out and vaccinated. And I love it in particular when they come in for this visit and they bring their tattered old yellow vaccine card from when they were a kid, because all those vaccines, they still count and they're still important. And in many cases, that data, even though it's from when they were two months old, is more reliable than any kind of blood test we could do at that point. This is Sarah Nozel. I really think about when young people, young adults are coming in, sort of the core group of vaccines as flu, HPV, and tetanus. The flu was really something that we're going to be getting every year. And so I think that can be one of the challenges for young adults is actually making sure they get in each year. And I do encourage young adults to think about timing if you are going to make that annual visit, which we'd love to see you and help protect you during flu season. So particularly early on. So in the fall, when you can then make sure you're up to date on everything you need and not have to make another trip in, which can be difficult when you're young and starting your career. The next vaccine being HPV, which we really expect individuals to have received when they were younger. But if you have gotten into 19 to 26 and you still haven't received the Gardasil or HPV vaccine, this would be a really great opportunity to make sure we get that for you. And that will be a series of three shots that will be within one year. 
And then finally, the tetanus shot, which most young people will have received at around 11 years old, but they'll be due in this time period for their 10-year booster shot, which has all but eliminated tetanus because people are keeping up to date on it. And this will be the first opportunity for most to receive the Tdap, which is a little different than the regular tetanus. So when we think of tetanus normally, we think of the vaccine that's really for if we get a cut or a scrape or we step on a rusty nail, where the pertussis component of tetanus is actually a coughing illness that we're able to both protect ourselves from, but particularly this is a time when people are starting families, their friends are starting families, they may be taking care of older parents, and the pertussis can be really important to protect infants, pregnant women, as well as the elderly. And so those are all sort of the core that we bring in at that time. There are additional recommendations for other vaccines as well for individuals that fall outside that typical group. Thank you, Dr. Nossel. This is Eugene Schiff. The Tdap, you were just talking about that. We can also mention that that's really important to be offering to pregnant women who often fall between this age group, 19 to 26, or a few years younger or older. And that should be given in the third trimester of pregnancy between 27 to 34 weeks, if possible. So in addition to the regular 10-year booster for the Tdap, about the yellow cards, sometimes I have patients that come in that don't have a yellow card or are coming from out of the country or out of state, and it's really not clear when they're showing up at our office for the first time ever, what vaccines they've had before or if they've even had any. I had a patient who was homeschooled in Georgia and had never had a single vaccine in his whole life, who was about 25 years old. I was really challenging trying to see what I could do for him to make sure he was protected against teen childhood illnesses. So the couple other vaccines that are recommended to be caught up for children and young adults with the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. We've had a lot of measles outbreaks recently in New York State and New York City and globally, even though the New York epidemic seemed to be subsided, there's a lot of measles being transmitted and, and could potentially be reimported into New York. So there's a measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine that if we don't know if our patients have had that before, it's usually recommended, especially before they travel or go back to school or work in a healthcare setting, that we give them that. There's several others that we might mention here, just so people are aware, even though they're not part of the routine recommendations for people that age. These would include the hepatitis A vaccine, which we usually would give in early childhood. But in case it hadn't been given, or if we don't know if it's been given, there's some outbreaks of hepatitis A these days amongst homeless people, people injecting drugs, and also it's a concern for anyone who's traveling internationally to make sure that they're up to date on their hepatitis vaccine. Usually we're trying to immunize all of our children, but sometimes that doesn't happen and we still might want to think about it for people who are coming in from 19 to 26 and young adults. The meningitis vaccines routinely given at ages 11 to 16, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a separate podcast, but these are things to think about, especially for college students in the settings of meningitis outbreaks in college. And there's some changes in the guidelines related to those that have come up, and we'll talk about those in a little bit more detail later. Hepatitis B vaccines, pneumococcal vaccines, there's a few different types of those that are worth discussing with your doctor when you go in, in addition to a host of other travel vaccines, which we would have to really tailor based on where people are traveling to. But there's other vaccines that are worth talking about depending on where they're going to that we now have, including Ebola, rabies, Japanese encephalitis, cholera, anthrax. And the key point is to come in well before you're going to travel so that some of these vaccines can be discussed. In our clinic, we don't even stock a lot of these special travel vaccines. So we would want to try to find a place that has them so that you could be protected before you go abroad. And people are going away for all sorts of reasons that have some of these infections spreading. The CDC is a good resource to turn to for travel vaccines. There are lots of good online resources that we often turn to. 
And sometimes people don't even realize that if they got vaccinated in New York, that they can look up their vaccine history or we can look up their vaccine history online. Yes, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about the impact of the vaccine registries and the electronic medical records at keeping better track of which vaccines patients already have had or may need. And sometimes a busy doctor may not realize exactly of all these hosts of shots, which ones would be due or important as to provide as a preventative measure. And in that case, we're getting better and better clinical decision support so that it can be more likely that your health record may alert your doctor which shots you need. It still has some kinks that we're working out, but more and more, this is where we're going in the next decade so that everyone will know, including your providers, which of these shots you may be due for based on your age and what you've had before or haven't had before. Thank you so much. Are there certain vaccine-preventable diseases that young adults are more susceptible to? I think it depends on what the circumstances are of those young adults. I mean, certainly people who are living in close quarters, like in college dorms, we're particularly concerned about certain things like meningitis. For people who are homeless, people in particular areas where there might be an outbreak of an infectious disease like measles or whooping cough, which is pertussis, or in neighborhoods where a lot of people are unvaccinated, it's particularly important for people to get vaccinated. Because when we count on that herd immunity, when we count on everybody else's vaccines to help protect us, that's really conditional on the idea that other people are getting vaccinated. When other people in the neighborhood aren't vaccinated, particularly important for somebody to get vaccine. I think about that also with tetanus in particular, because there is no herd immunity around tetanus. And so making sure, as we've mentioned before, and as we mentioned on some of our other podcasts, the importance of getting tetanus vaccine. And I think, as Dr. Schiff mentioned, tetanus is particularly important in pregnancy. So that's a particular condition, for lack of a better word, a particular situation where it's really important to be in touch with your provider and making sure that you're getting all the vaccines you need. For lots of different circumstances, for other chronic illnesses, for people who are traveling, for all kinds of risk factors, people who are healthcare workers in the military, particular living situations, the best advice is really to go see your doctor and try to sort out for your particular circumstance what vaccines are best for you. And these routine vaccines, this is Dr. Schiff again, are very interesting. In tetanus, for example, that we mentioned, it lives in the soil. It's endemic, and that's why it's recommended to continue protecting against tetanus. The pertussis component, which is part of that Tdap, is why we give it to mothers in the third trimester so that the immunity passes down to the baby before they're able to get their own vaccines as a young child. Influenza, a lot of cases of influenza A, and, and even this year, more cases of influenza B. The vaccine, while not 100% effective, is the best thing that can be done to prevent complications from severe influenza, both for the people who are vaccinated as well as for other community members who they may pass it to. HPV vaccine, I think, is often a very common sexually transmitted infection. So for young adults that may be exposed more having more partners than people younger or older, that's a consideration for getting the HPV vaccine in particular. And in addition, I really think that besides that there are some circumstances where you're more vulnerable, you're also in one of the best places to still have a robust response to vaccination. And so if we have missed opportunities for some of these routine vaccines, or we're just getting those that are due now, that really the younger we are, we know that our vaccines will be more effective. And so this is a great time to make sure you're protected. 
And it's critical that we sort of emphasize that people come in at this age because they may not be required to anymore like they were when they were in school or when they're starting college or every year in, in New York City and New York State. But it's still so important to get these vaccines, the ones that are recommended, if, especially if they have gotten them before. That's a great point. I mean, I see 20-something-year-olds all the time haven't seen a doctor since they were in high school. So it's a great opportunity to encourage people to really come in and get checked out. Oftentimes, as family physicians, we'll see these young parents coming in along with their children, either both at the same time or accompanying the other. So it's, it's an opportunity to discuss vaccination and why it's important for the whole family. Thank you again. We're going to move on to how do doctors decide if a patient might need additional or different vaccines than other people my age? I think that all of us, when a patient comes in, we're looking at them really specifically individually. There are plans that help us know for a typical person coming in at a particular age what vaccines they might need, but individual clinical circumstances might make it appropriate for us to consider some of the vaccines that not everyone else in that age group is receiving. I would tell you this is a common time where we start to identify people who have maybe drinking a lot more than they perhaps realized or presented or was captured in their past visits. So people who are alcoholics are recommended to actually get some additional vaccinations of pneumococcal to prevent pneumonia. Individuals who are men who are having sex with men are really recommended to make sure they've had already as children or to receive the hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and consider HPV. Particularly if they're under 26, this would be the right time to complete it. We've talked quite a bit about pregnancy and the importance of several vaccines during pregnancy. Also, as we're planning pregnancy, so in that time period when someone comes in, you're writing them for prenatal vitamins, and they said, oh, we're really excited, we want to conceive in the next year. This is a great opportunity to make sure the other vaccines, particularly mumps, measles, rubella, have B are up to date, which are not vaccines we normally give in pregnancy. And we've discussed the importance of giving flu and Tdap in pregnancy. We talked a lot already about those entering college and the choices we would make there. And certainly anyone who has been in those populations like Dr. Schiff's patient who was maybe homeschooled or in a particular religious community that didn't vaccinate at some period in their life or missed out on some key vaccines, that as young adults, they often present and are ready to receive appropriate vaccines and make sure that they're protected. Then there are just other clinical conditions in general that where we are medically more vulnerable, people who have asthma, smokers, liver disease, heart disease, some people who have different problems with the fluid around their brain or have had leaks of that fluid, people who have different kinds of implants, HIV, cancers, all the kinds of things you think about. Obviously, those individuals have some additional vaccines that they may need or we should make sure that they've already received. And I would just say for some people, there's more and more people on different medications that can suppress the immune system for various reasons, either as treatment or after a transplant. So they may warrant special vaccines. And also there's people who are pregnant or who have some immunocompromised conditions for which live vaccines, which, you know, there's just a few of those, including the measles, mumps, rubella and varicella vaccines that are still being used, but they wouldn't be indicated in those populations. So it would be worth checking before getting all of these, whether they're needed, whether they are recommended or whether they're contraindicated in some certain circumstances. Are there any other things that we would need to know about vaccines or immunizations in general? I always like to remind people that you don't have to restart a series. So even if they started the Hep B series years ago before some trip or some job, we can pick up where they left off. And people find that reassuring that they don't need to start all over again at the beginning. 
There's so much misinformation out there about vaccines these days that I think it's worth mentioning. There are some normal side effects from vaccines, and these would include any injection one receives. There will be some pain around the injection site. There may be some redness. Certain vaccines can cause some low-grade fevers, especially in young adults and teenagers. Fainting is one of the most common side effects from a vaccine. It's really not from the vaccine itself, but it's because someone's nervous about getting a shot. So just observing the patients in the office for 10 to 15 minutes can often be helpful if they may be prone for fainting. It's quite rare, but it can also just help them in case they're falling. And then usually these side effects are self-limited. They resolve quickly within at most a few days, and they're usually much, much less concerning and not really in the same category as the conditions that the vaccines are preventing. I really feel for most patients, the anticipation of the vaccine is often a lot more than the moment itself. Almost everyone immediately following the vaccine was like, that's it, you're done. So really often we work it up in our head. And I think that really speaks to going to a doctor's office, a clinician who's been really caring for you for the long haul, and that those individuals will know you, will know your history, be able to support you, and you'll be able to feel comfortable with your doctor and getting your vaccines administered there. I think that's a great point. I mean, there are so many places to get vaccines, and there are times where people need to go to urgent care or a pharmacy to get some vaccines. But I agree, getting to see your primary care doctor or family medicine or your obstetrician gynecologist is really a great way to make sure that they're taking the whole person into account and helping with your ongoing medical care. And I think we all agree, like, the most important thing is to go get vaccinated. And really talking about going back to your doctor's office, that while people can receive vaccines now in pharmacies and the Department of Health and various clinics, that really connecting with your primary care family doctor, your gynecologists, even urgent care and pharmacies, if we need a vaccine and can't get it elsewhere. But to know that there are lots of opportunities and really speaks to making sure we're keeping documentation of our vaccines, agreeing to have our information in the registry and connecting with our doctors to make sure we're up to date. Thank you. We are now moving on to the final question. That is, should young adults continue to have their immunizations tracked in the registry? Why is it important that they do so? I guess I can talk a little bit about the vaccine registries. In New York City, we have what's known as the citywide immunization registry, and I've been using that for many of my patients who are 0 to 18 years old, and it's required that most clinics and pharmacies and hospitals and other places report all shots given to children to the registry. Now, in New York State, for adults, after they turn 18, it requires consent in order for that to be reported to the registry. But it's probably worth having those shots reported for any patient's benefit so that if they've already gotten a vaccine, they don't have to get it twice. And we can have the most accurate information possible. And we can also use the registry in some ways to outreach patients who need vaccines but haven't had them. Some of them are these vaccines that we've talked about already. And then in other cases, the registry may even have more information about you and be able to have certain tools like text messaging and other tools which we can use as a population to see how we're doing in terms of our vaccine rates. Measles, for example, which was spreading last year, if 95% of the population is protected against measles, that's considered necessary for herd immunity. So the registry can help tell us where we are at and what percentage more patients should be getting these vaccines. So it can be used both for public health authorities as well as in an individual patient. Patients can access the registry themselves and so can parents of children. So the registries are sort of changing quite quickly and trying to integrate them to the pharmacies, to the hospitals, the clinics, so that more people have access to the accurate information to determine which vaccines people might need. And separate from the registry, I often ask people to just get all of their records from everywhere 
and bring them to me so we can keep a total list of the sum of what they got as kids and in high school and college and at the pharmacy or wherever. And if we can kind of collate all that information, it just makes it easier for everybody. Thank you again, Dr. Nosel, Dr. Schiff, and Dr. Weissman. I appreciate the time that you spent speaking about vaccines for young adults. Please be sure to listen to all of the other vaccine-related podcasts that Missing has posted.